Father, uh, it is to you that we look this morning, and even as we pray now, Lord, we recognize that uh, in praying to you, we are making a statement uh, about who you are. And in each of our hearts here, as we pray to you, uh, we see you in a particular way. Uh, and uh, therefore, uh, our, our hearts are going, going to be much more ready to do that which you call us to do, to obey, to walk in, in your ways, and to do it with a, a sense inside of this is right, uh, this is good, and with joy at the, the bottom of it. If we see you in a right way, therefore we see ourselves in a right way, and uh, we've, we've come to trust in, in Christ. Uh, otherwise, we need to be on that journey of coming to see you in a right way and recognizing what our need is. And so I, I pray this morning as we uh, study these very important things that you'll uh, bring understanding to our minds and to our hearts and help us, Lord, not just to think about these things, not, not even just to talk about them amongst one another, uh, Lord, but I, I pray that they would shape the way that we live our lives and the way that we see things in the world around us and therefore act and behave and uh, uh, relate to others as well. Uh, we do pray for your help. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, so we're in, uh, it's chapter 2 and sec- uh, paragraph 2. Uh, in the confession, and you will need this on some of some of them. I've written them out in the notes, but this one I haven't. So it, uh, this one begins with God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness. That's where we are uh, in here. Just before we we start, I, I just want to say that we're kind of moving a little bit. These two paragraphs go together. The one we looked at last week. And this paragraph that we're looking at this week, and hopefully we'll get to the third paragraph a little bit at least, uh, where we talk about the Trinity. But uh, uh, these two go together, but we're kind of moving from talking about uh, who is God, what is God in general, to a specific aspect of God. Uh, and that is, as you'll see there, His self-sufficiency. And that comes out with His uh, sovereignty over all things. So before we read this paragraph... I, I, I want to uh, talk about a scenario. Think about a think about a, a, a husband and wife. Maybe they've gotten married, uh, maybe fairly recently, just a, a, a couple of years before, or something something like that. But but they're uh, they're together. They're at home. They're sitting across the table from each other, and uh, they. They recognize, they both recognize, you know what, something, we're, we're married, we love each other, but there's something that's been missing in our lives. And they, they look at the, the chairs around the table and they, they say, you know, there's something missing here in, in, in our lives. What do you think that is? What do you think they might be talking about, thinking about? Children. That's exactly right. And so, so they say, you know, uh, we go, go through our days and... and uh, we really meet each other's needs, but there's something that's still missing. And, and so then they begin talking and they have children. Maybe they adopt children, uh, but, but they bring children into their lives. And, and then think, you know, a number of years later, they look around the table and they say, yes. <laughs> you know, this, uh, not everything's wonderful, of course, but, uh, but this is right. This is good. Um, a lot of people, and, and it's easy to do that. Think about God that way. Think uh, those very first words in Genesis. In the beginning, God. Now think about before that. Who was there with God? No one. God. Right. In the beginning, God. And so all these years, there He is, alone. Was the same situation true of God? Was God lonely and therefore He said, let me create in the same manner. Let me ask you, is that the way it happened? <laughs> I like the way you're stating it. Yeah, probably not. And, and there's a reason that in your mind you're, you're saying, you know what, probably not. Probably not. Now, again, we, we think through our own filter and uh, about things. But uh, 
Is God, think about God, is He, was He ever lonely like we get lonely? No. And, and the Word affirms that. We're going to look at that as we go through. But that's really the heart of this uh, passage that we're looking at today. Um, let, let me ask, uh, so, so God never was lonely. God is not dependent upon anything. Let me ask the kids here. Um, what are you dependent upon to live? Are you dependent upon anything to live your life? Yes or no? Yes. Oh, thank you. Good, good answer. Uh, so name some of the things that you are dependent upon to live your life. Air? Maybe said air. Okay. Water? Okay, your parents. Actually, that's pretty significant. What about if parents just... We, we, uh, Hate to think this, but just left the picture all of a sudden, and you were left alone uh, in this world. There was nobody that came alongside you. I mean, perish the thought. You don't even need to go there. But would you be able to survive? There you go. You'd ask God. There's another dependency. I heard that earlier, actually. Some uh, a couple of people said God, and you're exactly right. So. Uh, air, and you, we could go on and on, couldn't we? We could go on with the list that we're dependent upon. Is God like that? Not at all. Zero. And so think about that as we read these words. That's at the heart of this, uh, this chapter that we're looking, uh, looking at. And it's said in different ways as we go through it. Uh, but if you got, got a copy there, everybody able to look up, look on one? Okay. So this is paragraph two. It says, God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory. In, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being. Of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And has most sovereign dominion over them. To do by them, for them, or upon them. Whatsoever himself pleaseth. In his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, uh, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. You kind of see what I was talking about. All the way through, this is a statement of, of pretty much one thing. I'm going to put a word up here that I don't know if, uh, if everybody here has, has heard before, but we should have it in our vocabulary because it speaks to this. Uh, and it's this word. Can somebody say it? Yeah, a Uh And it comes from the Latin, which is this. And I'll do it in caps. But ah, say, which means of, of or from himself. So from himself. And so what, what a saity means is exactly what we, we've been talking about. That, that God is complete in and of Himself, He doesn't need anything else to make Him complete. Now, uh, why, uh, and uh, Janelle alluded to this earlier, why would we as people tend to want to think of God as, not as ase, but as, as in a way, dependent or, or needing me, <laughs> needing you? Okay, good, because we automatically think in that way. We think in those terms 
you know, husband and wife need each other, children need, uh, and, and in fact, everybody here who's breathing, whose heart is beating, uh, we all have uh, needs uh, every moment. Uh, but why, so why would people want to think that God is not like that? That God needs Jim and Vicki and, and, and Garth? Anybody? Makes us feel special. Okay. We're needed. Yeah. But, I mean, this is God that we're talking about, right? Uh, he, he, is, he is over all things. He's the one who, and we, we know this deep down inside, He, he created us. And so uh, we know, I mean, kids, as you're growing up, you, you want to be in the in crowd, right? You want to be liked. You want others to, you know, to come to you and to elevate you, right? It's, uh, it, it's that, that thing that we have inside. And so we want God to, to be like that too, right? To need us. And it elevates us when we, when we do that. And uh, ultimately... Sinfully so, uh, because we know the sins at the heart of, of you know, many of these desires. And, and therefore, there is a movement out there called open theism. Uh, that many of the things that we talked about last week and we're talking about this week, that, uh, that they go against the things that we're going to be seeing in God's Word as we look in, in just a moment. Um, but that, that says that... Uh, God is waiting for us, that He is dependent upon us, that uh, He responds. Uh, he, he's waiting, doesn't know, you know, as we read, we talked about God's knowledge, that it is complete, but that He doesn't know all things. And therefore, He is, he is waiting for what we're going to do, and then He's going to respond to that. Uh, now, uh, we talked last week about prayer, that it's true that God answers prayer. Uh, and it's true in the context of who God is and what we see here uh, that that God longs to hear from us. And when we pray, he, he responds to those prayers. But he does all that in the context of who he truly is and of, of the God who knows all things, of the God who has ordained all things. We're going to get to that in the next chapter uh, as we talk about uh, uh, God's decrees. Um, but in this chapter... Uh, you know, this, this thought of, of God not being lonely, God not being uh, alone. He's self-existent, uh, self-sufficient, independent from all things. No one can add anything to God. No one can take away anything from God. Uh, he is sovereign. Now, I, I brought up the question, isn't God lonely a minute ago? Here's what Jonathan Edwards said. Uh, he said, God is infinitely happy. In the enjoyment of himself, in perfectly beholding and infinitely loving and rejoicing in his own essence and perfections. Uh, so he didn't have to create the world. He didn't have to create you or me, but he is uh, complete in and of himself. He did that for his own pleasure. Uh, now, we are going to talk about it. So what we're, what we're really talking about, God, it's like we were talking about last week. That he is transcendent, that he is above all things. There, there is a sense in which he is unapproachable, he is unknowable. But we're also going to talk about this: that he has he has condescended to us, uh, and that he loves those who are his. Uh, God is able to be with us at all times, and we are able to be a friend of God. But it is it's not because of the character uh, of God, because that he he needs us in that way. But he has desired, he has created and desired. So we are going to talk about the eminent God, right, as well as we go through this. Um, turn to a couple of, couple of places here. Um, let's go to John. Well, so we're, the first aspect we're going to look at, we saw the words there that uh, um, God has all life. Let me find it here. God, God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of Himself. So turn to John chapter 5. So the question is, what does it mean that God has all life uh, in Himself? John chapter 5, verse, uh, verses 25 and uh, 26. 
Who's got that? Claire, can you read that? Great. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Okay, so as, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Uh, and uh, you know, he's pointing toward the resurrection uh, and, and talking about ultimately spiritual life, uh, but also physical life at the same time. I Turn to one other place. Turn to, this is an interesting chapter, Ezekiel. 37, Ezekiel 37, so that's uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, right before Daniel. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but this is an interesting chapter. I'm, I'm just going to read a few. Uh, I'm going to touch on a couple of different spots from this. Uh, you may be familiar with this chapter, that the Valley of Dry Bones. This is uh, Ezekiel the prophet. Uh, God is is speaking to him and and showing him something here. Uh, and right at the beginning, it says, "The hand of the Lord was upon me." Ezekiel says, "And He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones." Uh, and he's going to say that the bones were very dry. But then uh, look down to verse 5. Uh, well, just before that, he says, Prophesy to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 5, thus says the word of God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you. And cause flesh to come upon you and to cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. What's, what's his point here? What's kind of the, the point? What, what's being repeated again and again? And we're going to see it repeated if you go further in that chapter. So, so what's, what do dry bones signify? Death. That's, that's exactly right. And so uh, he's saying there's valley of dry bones. And one, one thing we know about death and about dry bones is they're, they're not going to turn into a body and just get up and begin walking. Right. Something's required. Uh, and and so he tells Ezekiel, here's what you need to do. Prophesy. And this is the word of the Lord. Prophesy to them, and behold, I'll cause breath to enter them and, and lay sinew, you know, flesh and bones uh, together, and they will stand up. And, and you look uh, a little bit further down, uh, it, it says, uh, Ezekiel prophesied as I was commanded. Uh, and then a little bit further down, uh, he said, Behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, uh, a little bit further down that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them uh, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Uh, and then he's going to make application to this. He's going to make application to, to the uh, nation of Israel. It's to God's people that he makes application. What is he talking about here? What kind of life? Is he talking about physical life or spiritual? Spiritual. spiritual. Thank you. Spiritual life. Uh, and so really he uses physical life to point to spiritual life. And, and all the way through the Bible, we, we get that. Uh, you know, you must be born again. And Jesus refers to physical life. Uh, but then he's really talking about spiritual life. You must be born again. It, you know, if, if you remain as you are, you are dead uh, and you will not continue forward, but spiritual life. So ultimately, it is God who has all life in and of himself. We saw that in uh, in John, uh, John 5, here in Ezekiel 37, uh, other places. So how is that different from us? Do we have life in and of ourselves? No, no. In fact, 
Pattersons aren't here. I hope they'll be here later, but uh, Amanda's very close. <laughs> Could be any moment to, to having her, her baby. Um, well, and I, I haven't heard. I haven't talked to them the past couple of days, so hopefully they'll let us know. But uh, for, for a child, for a baby, what, what must happen? You know, we, we talk about it just, you know, you hear about the, the abortion debate and things on TV, just like, you know, this is just what happens. But nobody stops to say every time there's something that God must do. This is, we don't understand it, do we? I mean, we don't truly understand that life-giving moment that happens when life comes in. And all of a sudden you got a baby, and we know it's a baby in here. <laughs> Not in me, right? <laughs> but and, and when they come out, you know, either one, it's it, it is a uh, this is a life, uh, and it's a miracle every time because we know God hath all life in and of Himself. He is the life giver, right? Uh, and 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 therefore, you know, the lives that we live, absent God, no life, right? Uh, and so we, we that that's what the beginning of this is saying. God has all life uh, um, in himself. Uh, and then, what does it mean that he has all goodness in himself as well? How do we know what's good and what's not good? There are really two ways you could say, I guess. Any thoughts about how we know what's good? What? Good. Ten Commandments. Where do they come from? They came from yeah Moses and from God ultimately and and became so we got it two places in uh, in in the Bible and so two places in the Bible we've got uh, in Exodus twenty and Deuteronomy five we've got the Ten Commandments as well as you know the rest of God's word and as we go through it we find out what good is what about just you come into this world uh, do you know something about the children as you're growing up. Do you know something about what's good and what's not good? Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> That's right. You know, and there's a lot that you don't know, right? You, you don't know about you know, how your circulatory system works. You don't know all kinds of things, but, but there's something you do know. Something about what's good and what's not good. And this says that uh, God had all life, glory, goodness, blessedness, uh, so goodness in and of himself, he is the standard of all, all that's good. And like Janelle mentioned, the law, you know, the standard of all that's good. And, and we often say this is we're really speaking about who God is when we speak about the law. Uh, he is the definition of all that's good, uh, of everything that's good. The only one that is purely good. Um, so how how do we experience God's goodness? Let's turn to uh, Psalm 103. Uh, because, you know, what everybody wants in this world, if you ask me, if you go on the street and ask somebody what they want, they want to be happy. <laughs> that's the word that's used. But often what they don't realize is that the bottom of that is they want that which is good and right. But we have a twisted sense of that in this world. Well, Psalm 103, I think... Uh, helps us to see what is that which is is good. Um, we don't have to read all of this, but uh, you know the first uh, 14 verses or so help us out with that. Can, can somebody start reading? Uh, Steve, you just start reading. I don't know, first 10 verses or whatever. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. All the way through that, as Steve read, uh, it was talking about benefits, right? Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. And then who forgives all your sin. I mean, we could stop right there and, of course, talk the rest of the time about what that really means to have our sin forgiven. But heals all your diseases, uh, physical and spiritual. Ultimately, we, we will be fully healed. Uh, as, as if we are those who belong to Him, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. You know, it's just... Uh, so this is uh, kind of a statement of what is good. Uh, and if we really had hearts to desire that which is good, that which is right, uh, this, this gives a litany of that which is good. Yeah, Paul. A lot of times when we, we think of good, we compare it to evil. So good and evil, so we think of it just in terms of moral things. And a lot of people kind of think, well, on the evil side, that's where the party is. That's absolutely right. And the good side, you know, that's kind of stingy. You see it on on T-shirts and bumper stickers, you know, about sin and seeing that light. But the Bible uses the word good, it often means as much generosity as just... So it's not... It's not, uh, you know, God gives you a little piece of beef jerky and a small cup of water, warm no. water, and, and you say, oh, that's good. No, he just lays out the bank of I mean, this psalmist forgives all the sins and yeah. all the yeah. things that are good. That's where the, that bounty is for God because it's an impression of his love as his generosity. It is right on. And, and we get a sense of that, you know. Who redeems your life from the pit? Who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? You know, it's yeah. What do people look for? The eternal fountain of youth. And what does this speak to? Ultimately, you know, it renews that sense of of goodness. But but we get twisted, right, in our mind. We we begin to think, well, this is fun. This is great. And, and this is no. Anybody that's come to come to faith. Uh, in in Christ, I was talking to somebody earlier this week about uh, about that that moment in my own life of, of of coming to faith, always having that that unsettledness, that anxiety inside, the fear of man. Other you know, always, it's not right. And then then all of a sudden, and not everything is yeah, not everything is roses. Sometimes we know you, you come, you, you begin to see your sin more, and there there are challenges and difficulties as you come to faith. But that peace inside that surpasses understanding, that place of being right with the Lord, He is all good, and it is exactly where, if we really had right minds, where we would want to be, our hearts would want to be more than anything else. We'd want to do away with all that which is against Him. Uh, and so that's a great, great point. Amen. Yes, amen. <laughs> and, and that should be our desire. Yeah, through and through. So... All goodness in and of Himself. Let's uh, continue. Continue forward. This, this talks a lot about uh, God's God's glory. That He has all all glory in and of Himself. Now, uh, we are able to reflect the glory of God, but all true glory belongs to God. And so we've got to recognize that. Um, and is alone in and unto Himself all sufficient. Uh, I've got a got a picture over there of the burning bush. You can look if you want. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Don't have to turn there, but um, Exodus 3, verse 2. You know, uh, uh, Moses been kicked out of, out, of, out of Egypt because he killed a man, right? And uh, so he's been running for his life and he wound up uh, in the wilderness of Midian. He, he ended up becoming married and and 40 years went by but here he is going back you know with sheep uh watching the sheep but he, he comes across this bush 
Moses keeping the, the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, came upon Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Uh, now, what was what was strange about this bush? What was different? What now, I think just seeing a burning bush would have caught his attention. But what was uh, really strange? Yes, Eliza. It what? That's right. It didn't burn up, right? It just kept burning and burning. I, I wonder kind of how long Moses stood there and, and watched the bush. But, but we're told in, in God's word that it, it did just, just that, like uh, Eliza was saying. It didn't burn up. What's the significance of that when it comes to God? He's the only one that could do that. Yeah, uh, because we know, you know we got a bunch of logs out there, and, and every one of us that's done like Bible study in the morning, we know we throw the logs in, and we don't have that perpetually burning log, right? That Wouldn't that be nice? But no, it, it burns up, and that's the way it is with everything else in this world. It gets used up somehow. It, come, it has to come from somewhere. And, uh, and yet the bush... Continued burning. It didn't become consumed. Uh, and that's, that's speaking about, uh, the all sufficiency of God. He's, He is all, He has it all in Himself. And He's not standing in, uh, in need of, of anything or anyone. Um, let's see. So go, go a little further. Chapter two, uh, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting His own glory in, by, and uh, in, by, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And that's again what we've been uh, talking about here. Uh, and then uh, the next uh, statement: and has most sovereign dominion over them. To do by them, for them, or upon them. It's talking about the creatures, about us. Upon them, whatsoever himself pleaseth. So he has most sovereign dominion. Everybody understand this? He has most... Uh, there's a sense in which, when we use the word sovereign, isn't there only one who is the sovereign and who has sovereignty? Yet they, they felt the need to use the word most sovereign dominion. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> so most I think they're emphasizing something here uh, because of who we are and because of what we often think. Uh, so what difference does it make to us that God has most sovereign dominion over us? What difference daily does that make to us? The God of all gods. And, and what does that mean to us? That's, that's, and that, that's the most sovereign part there. He, he is the God of all gods. So what does that mean to the creature? He's, got he's what? He's got, he's got it all. I, yeah, and, and he's got it all. And there's a sense in which, you, in, in your saying that, we got to say, well, we're subject to him. He's got it all, and we must, the only place that we can go to truly receive is to Him, ultimately. That we've got to see Him in that way. What about when it comes to, He's given His Word, and He's, and we talked about this, of course, in Scripture. Now, talking about God, we need to, from the other perspective, we need to talk about it. He's given us His Word. What's our responsibility with this? You know, I think it helps to filter all the voices coming at us in this world. Okay. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So as as you're watching on the TV, you see on the internet or whatever. Uh, so so the question is, what does God have to say about this? Everybody has their own opinion, and they're often stated as fact, right? But but what does God say about this? And that gets to what I was uh, I was speaking about with His Word. That uh, ultimately, if we are subject to Him, uh, because He has all. He's most sovereign. He has all sovereignty. Then when it comes to his word, what he's spoken, we're responsible for that, aren't we? Are we responsible for some of it? All of it. All of it. 
Now, I mean, just you're making that statement when you said all of it. That should, for every one of us, we should say, there's no way. <laughs> there is no way. But it doesn't change the fact. You know, sometimes we can say that. We say, there's no way. It really doesn't change the fact to say that, that it's true. So there's a true statement uh, that's made, yet we've got to say, you know, responsible for all of it. Uh, it's kind of like when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and uh, he was answering the question, who is my neighbor? And the answer was, in effect, you read through that passage, the answer was, your neighbor is everybody that's around you. Every person that God puts in front of you. You've got to love them like he loved the Good Samaritan. And, and so that's the answer. And so, so what, what we're going to say is that, well, there's no way. That's impossible. Well, there's real value to coming to that point, right? Why? Brings us to our knees. Brings us to our knees. That's exactly right. And all of a sudden, uh, we're, we're cut to the heart. I guess that's the phrase, uh, Acts chapter 2, cut to the heart, uh, because we are lost. And, and in, have you noticed uh, there are a number of places in, in Scripture where somebody comes into contact with God, I mean close contact with God, in some way they see God. And what, it's every time that there's a true seeing of God and recognizing that this is God, what's the response? It's great fear, even Peter. So Peter, remember Luke chapter 5, and uh, and Jesus took him out of the boat, and he said, cast over here and, and bring in the fish. And Peter said, well, we've been fishing all, all night, Master, and, and we caught nothing. There, there's no way. But because of who you are, I'll, I'll cast. And he cast in. He brought in a, a net that was so full it was overflowing. And you'd think he'd just say, wow, that's awesome. But he didn't say that, did he? He fell on his knees in front of me. And, and he said, you know, he, he was saying, get away from me because I am a sinful man. We see it with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, we see it in a number of other places. Uh, but it's fear because we're in that place. But then Jesus comfort, comforted uh, Peter. How did he comfort him? With himself. Uh, that, that he is here. There, there's one way. In which we can be comforted in that way. So it should drive us to Christ every time. If we really see this, we really see who God is and all of His uh, all of His sovereignty, and that we are subject to Him. Um, turn to First Timothy six fifteen. So near the end of the New Testament. First Timothy six. 15. Um, let me go back and read a little bit there, uh, beginning in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. Notice God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession uh, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, and using the words that Ellie said moments ago, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And and I I can't stop there, right? Who alone has immortality. Uh, What is immortality? There you go. Ever, ever? It keeps on going, right? Uh, immortality. So life that continues on and on forever. Who alone has immortality. Who dwells in unapproachable light. Remember this word here? Uh, unapproachable. That, that God is in a sense unapproachable. Uh, whom no one has ever seen nor can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. And it's almost like that has to follow, right? Those last words. We've heard about who God is there. And it's almost like you have to say these words, right? To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. It's almost like Job saying, shut my mouth, you know, when he's faced with God. I cover my mouth because I'm in the the presence of of the Lord. There is nothing more that I can say. 
uh, after he said all that he has said, <laughs> and then God has has approached him. And so, you know, again, he is the most sovereign. He is above all all things. Now, um, so his word does impose this obligation, this significant, immense obligation upon us. Uh, and so we might say that God's word imposes an obligation upon me to obey. What does our sin say? What does our sin say? I'm awesome. What? Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> That's right. No, the, the, it doesn't impose an obligation upon me. And then, now it's got to look for a way, right? And so our sin will find some way over here or some way, way over here. It's amazing. Uh, if we were able, I, I think if, if somebody were videotaping us at all times, and there are certain times when you know, we may make a statement or, or act in a certain way, and if we could see how we weasel out you know, of, of, of what is right and what is good, uh, that's exactly what, I, what we do. But, but our sin says, no, who's sovereign when it comes to our sin? Yeah. It's, it's us. And so we've got to remember that. So the more that we see, not just see God in a right way, you know, even the demons uh, know who God is, but, but receive that and accept that. The more that we see ourselves in a right way and the more that we see our need, right? And the more that we're, uh, we need Christ. That's the only way to go. Um, look at, uh, got a little picture there. I don't have no idea what... King Nebuchadnezzar looked like, but we can imagine him looking like that, I guess. Um, but what did you remember the story of Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar? In fact, you can turn there, uh, Daniel chapter four. We were in Ezekiel before, so go one more book, uh, you know, further to the right, and uh, Daniel chapter four. Um, and so Nebuchadnezzar, in his sin, what was Nebuchadnezzar's great sin at this point? Pride. Pride. And you can understand it. He was king. You know, he had conquered. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was the one who, who came in and, uh, uh, and conquered, you know, Israel. Uh, so he, he had conquered much. Uh, and uh, we see in, in Daniel chapter 4, you look, look at verse 25. Um, so Daniel 4. 25. Uh, here's what God said. It, it, just before that, uh, 24, this is the interpretation Daniel said, O king, it is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord, the king. Now notice, he's giving a, 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 Daniel's giving a term of respect, my Lord, the king. And verse 25, though, now, did, did uh, King Nebuchadnezzar want to hear this? Uh, no. <laughs> That you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Let me ask you, did King King Nebuchadnezzar before this, did he know God? I mean, did he respect God? Did he love God? No. No. And yet, was God sovereign over King Nebuchadnezzar and every other creature, whether they, they, they turned to God or not? Yes. And so, what happened? This is what, what happened and, and what the Lord did to bring him to a recognition that God is sovereign over all things. Look at verses 34 and 35. And maybe somebody can, can read that. Nathan, you got that? Okay, so you get King Nebuchadnezzar, he was over here, and, and he was saying, you know, I, 
I have dominion. It's my dominion is going to be an everlasting dominion. Uh, you know, all, all people are submitted to me. Look at my uh, my, my uh, tremendous kingdom. Uh, that's what his sin was saying in his pride. But then over here, after the Lord, after he had seen the hand of the Lord, he hadn't even seen the Lord. He saw the hand of the Lord upon himself. And the words that Nathan just read, his dominion, the most high, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures generation to generation. And then uh, verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That's, that is, that's hard for us to say in our sin. I'm accounted as, as nothing before the Lord. I am accounted as nothing. Now we know that, uh, that, that the Lord says, I, I love those with an everlasting love, those who are mine. So we know that those are going to be the words of, of God for all those who turn to Him, all those who, who trust in Him. And He has a desire uh, that all would look to the Lord. Uh, but this is, this is the right statement. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing before Him. But it's God who comes to us and loves us and calls us to Himself and provides everything that we read about in, uh, you know, in Psalm 103. You know, all of that uh, for us. And, and so we've got uh, that, that He has most sovereign dominion. Here's what uh, R.C. Sproul there's a famous statement of, of his that not a single molecule, and we'll look more at this when we talk about God's decrees uh, and uh, his uh, providence, but not a single molecule runs loose in the universe outside the scope of God's control. He has sovereign, uh, most sovereign dominion uh, over all things. Um, and just, just a little bit more, and we'll finish up this uh, section here that uh, is a little bit further down in that paragraph. Um, his uh, in his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. That's us. So as nothing to him is contingent or uncertain. What does that word contingent mean? Hinges on another thing. That's right. Depends on another thing. This this shelf here uh, is contingent. What is that? A two by four? Uh, It's contingent upon this. uh, uh, Is it? What is it? Two by? It's a one by six. Thanks. One by six. Thank you. I appreciate that. Obviously, my knowledge—I don't have all knowledge. I'm not like God at all. But, but Bill, when it comes to wood, woodworking, uh, he's got quite a bit. Yeah, one by six. So it's contingent, right? Uh, it it is it is dependent upon that. Uh, so as to him, so as to God, and again, saying the same thing we've already heard, uh, it is uh, nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. Uh, and it, this is talking about his knowledge. His knowledge is uh, independent upon the creature. Uh, and, and that means he's not waiting for us to make a certain decision and then he's going to respond to that. Uh, that's, that's, that's not how God works. Now, often there's a sense in which we're going to see it that way because we can't conceive of God. And so... He has condescended to us and he speaks to us, as we heard last week, in, in kind of baby language uh, so that we can understand him. And so he, he does. And we need to think in that way. Every single person, unless they turn to Christ and receive Christ, they must receive Christ. Otherwise, they will never be saved. It's up to them. OK, we've got to remember that it is up to them. We can look back and say, after having received Christ, you know what? I could have never, never done anything without the Holy Spirit being at work inside of me. And, and so, yeah, amen. And amen to that it is, is exactly right because uh, if we know our own hearts, we'll know well, I never would have come to Him in the first place. And so in that sense, we've got to think in those terms and we, we have to come to others in those terms and say, you must receive Christ. You've got to trust in Christ. Right? We, we don't come to Him and say, 
Uh, no, you just you just wait and God will work that inside of you. No, you must trust in Christ. But then they can they can look later and be comforted in a wonderful way by saying, "The Lord, the Lord, only the Lord." And what a wonderful sense! And, and that's what we have in Scripture. It's given to us in that same uh, in that same way. Uh, and so, even though we say that uh, God's knowledge is independent upon the uh, upon the creature. Uh, that that we must do what's in front of us, um, and I think I think we're going to have some of that later in our, our service today as well. Um, David, that, yeah. Also, like in that context you're talking about, that that also should drive us more and more to prayer. That's right. Because if we feel like oh it's up to me, you know it's my job. If I don't if I don't effectively present the gospel message, this person will go to hell. Right. And that's what some Church they're teaching. That's, yeah. You know, but when we realize, like, God uses means. God uses means. Right. Um, but He does the work. Then we're we're driven to change that we are praying to God to change the heart, and in that process, He's working on our heart. And then at the same time, we say, "Use me, O Lord," uh, because. We're praying that he'll change our heart. He already has changed our heart so that we, we care for that person uh, more and more and use me. But it's not up to me. You know? <laughs> You're going to use me. Uh, use what you placed inside of me and the person you placed before me. Uh, but ultimately, it is his work. It is the work that he's doing. That's great comfort, isn't it? All the way through. There. Turn to Psalm 139. Uh, and many will be familiar with this. Should I say that? Psalm 139. Almost done here. We're just going to look at the first four verses here. Uh, you know, what what we read about uh, about God's God's knowledge here that uh, that it is infinite, infallible, that open and and manifest, uh, saying that. Uh, that he's not waiting on something uh, that he has all knowledge in and of himself. So Psalm 139, uh, first four verses. Who's got it? I can read. I'm going like to read. Anybody? Uh, thank you. Amy. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Okay, yeah, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. That puts prayer in a different perspective, right? He does know it, but he, he calls upon us uh, to, to pray. We see Jesus praying to the Father. We see him modeling, not only modeling it, but telling them how to pray. We see the importance of prayer through and through. But uh, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. What a comfort. And that's kind of like a child coming to their uh, their, their father. They've, they've got blood streaming down. The dad knows uh, or the mother knows, you know, what has happened, uh, you know, everything. But but eager to hear from the child when, when they scream out, I did this and I fell and, you know, and, and all of that. And it, it comes right to to the heart. We, we want to hear it. God desires to hear from us. But you uh, you search out my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Uh, you already know it all, uh, O oh Lord. Uh, we could continue, uh, you know, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Uh, you know, all of who God is, but here his, his knowledge. Uh, and again, there, there are, there, there is wrong teaching that's out there. Uh, and we can see where it comes from. That thing I mentioned earlier, open theism that, that God doesn't know future decisions, that his response is contingent upon the creature. Uh, so we, have to, we have to watch out for that. Why, why would that be devastating, by the way, if God didn't know these things and, and, and he was waiting and it was contingent upon us? Why would that be devastating? It would be a tremendous loss for us, wouldn't it? Uh, because, okay, God's learning things as he goes along, right? 
He, he, he's waiting upon others, and everything falls apart. Then, uh, you know, can I can I be certain about his promises that he's given me, and, and all this? How is he gonna? Yeah. I, I read this week that ChatGPT, um, you know, it's, it's because this is a this artificial intelligence. You know, it, it would make God kind of like artificial intelligence. Okay. You know, learning along the way, and yeah. supposedly getting better and learning more and <clears throat> becoming more effective. But there was this huge setback in like the accuracy of results decreased by a tremendous amount. And uh, and you know, maybe they're tweaking things to get better. But that would have that'd be how God was, you know, he would be able to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't open over the mistakes. Yeah. Paul. Oh. I think people who promote that they want to Make you feel like, well, your prayer is going to make a difference because it's going to influence what God is going to do. Right, right. But in actuality, if you pray to God and you say, "This is what I want you to do," God will say, "Well, I'll, I'll try." That's and, that, those are the words we don't want to hear. Right? And, and later on, He'll say, "Well, I really tried hard, but something else happened." And I said, but, yeah, yeah. And so it would be. It would be devastating to us. At the same time, I'm going to say that you can understand that that mindset, and uh, even from God's word as we go through, because you know He does use He does use baby talk with us uh, so that we can understand Him. And so I, I just want to remind us that uh, that there there are many within the church who love the Lord, who know the Lord, who walk with the Lord, uh, and will be with the Lord forever, who have who have that, that mindset and that thought about God. And there are going to be some things that are missing there, but at the same time, there are places where we're not entirely consistent on things. And so I just want to remind us, because it's so easy. It's so easy for us to, to say you know, something out of Scripture. And then I was just reading out of uh, 1 Corinthians 8 last night, you know, that, that you know, knowledge... And become pride, you know, and so that, uh, so just a, a reminder there for us. But, uh, um, so to finish that paragraph, and, and we've already really talked about this, so I'm not going to spend time with this, but, uh, it says, He is most holy in all His counsels, in all His works, and in all His commands. To Him is due from angels and men and every other creature, whatsoever worship, service, or obedience, he is pleased to require of them. And so it finishes with that statement about, well, this is a statement about God, but it finishes with a statement about us that there is a, a do-ness there. You know, we, we, we do owe, you know, and so we are subject to Him. That's another way of saying it. Uh, whatsoever worship, service, obedience, He is pleased to require of them. Um, is worship a duty? Worship is a duty. Uh, we sin, and it's clear in God's word. We sin. I mean, it's said again, again. You know, command to worship. Uh, you shall not forsake the gathering together. All of that. It is a duty. We often. You may hear people say worship is not a duty, and, and I agree with the sentiment there. That it, it, it should be from our hearts that we desire. So, so it's not a. We think of duty as being a, a, a bad thing, but worship is a a duty. But God has provided for it, and, and more and more He works that inside of us, so that that's what we long, so that that's what we desire. And when that's not there, we know, okay, well, there's there's something there's something that needs to be corrected in my relationship with with God, and so we must cast ourselves upon Christ and look for that. Um, so all of that said, just before we go into the worship, but it's a it's a wonderful privilege, <laughs> but it is it, it's also a duty at the same time. So let's uh, yeah uh, keep that in mind. Um, and that's the answer to that question. What is due to God? <laughs> what it said in that last uh, spot. Uh, so we'll forgo going to the different verses. Let me uh, say a word of prayer. Father, uh, thank you that these things that we've been going over this morning, that, that this isn't something that we've come up with ourselves or uh, an excellent author out there or book publisher or... Uh, that hadn't come out of a think tank uh, here, that, that this is what you have chosen or to reveal about yourself. You who, apart from your coming to us, 
that would be unapproachable, unknowable, and yet you've come to us in a wonderful way that we might see you, that we might know you, that we might be able to, to claim you in a sense as, as ours. You are our God, and we are your people. Uh, and that's that phrase we see all the way through your word. We thank you for that. And uh, I pray, as we talked about earlier, Lord, that, that every day, every moment, we would see through the lens of, of who you are, a, a right picture. Uh, and especially next week as we go and we look at the, the Trinity, who you are. God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Uh, help us and help us to have hearts for worship, too. Lord, to know that it is a duty and it's a duty that you provide for that we might uh, enjoy, God. Uh, We thank you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.